Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Pete McCall, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the All About Fitness Podcast. As I was preparing the introduction for this guest, I started thinking about when was the last time I did anything 74 days in a row? And I mean anything other than like brushing my teeth or the the essentials of, of daily living. I'm trying to think back to any fitness thing, any routine I did for 74 days in a row. What, what, what have I done consistently for that? And why am I picking 74 days? Have you ever done anything for 74 days in a row? Have you done anything consistently, the same thing for that long? Well, the guest for this episode, Ms. Emily Rudo, ran a half marathon a day for 74 days in a row. <laughs> I'm going to say that again. My guest for this episode, Emily, Emily Rudo, ran a half marathon a day for 74 days in a row. She has a very popular blog called Go Do. I, obviously, if you if you can do that, if you can run that far, and I just did a little bit of math here, and, and I'm, a, I'm an exercise science guy, not really a math guy, but according to my math, that's about 960 miles, give or take, or since she's Canadian, about 1,500 kilometers, give or take. I might... Might have the numbers off there, but 1,500 kilometers in 74 days, that, that's a lot of running. On this episode, I talk with Emily about why she did that and more importantly, how she did that and what that means for you and your fitness routine. We talk about the mindset it takes to accomplish a challenging fitness goal and how you can break down that goal into more bite-sized chunks. On this episode of All About Fitness, it's Emily Rudeau, the author of the Go Do blog and the book Find Your Stride, talking about motivation and perseverance. I mean, hey, it does take a little bit of that in order to be able to do what she did. And that's running half marathon a day for 74 days in a row. So here we are with Miss Emily Rudeau, author of Find Your Stride. Today on All About Fitness, we are speaking with Miss Emily Rudeau. How are you doing today, Emily? Hi, Pete. I'm doing good, thanks. How are you? I'm all right. Emily is the author of Find Your Stride. Now, Emily, what what caused you to write this book? I mean, what was it, the motivation that that this is, I mean, the, the, full, the full name of it is A Personalized Path to, to Sustainable Nutrition and Training. What was it that lit the fire to the cause to give you the motivation to write this book? Um, so (laughs) it's funny. I actually tried to write a book back in 2017. Um, I had undergone like a big half marathon challenge and I wanted to write about my experience and I got a hundred pages in and I was like, this is complete garbage. Well, actually I showed my sister who edits my blog post normally. And she's like, this is trash. I'm like, (laughs) whoa, whoa, wait, your sister said that. Yeah. Hard love, but it's good. It's, um, she said yeah. it more tactfully than that, but that was what she was insinuating. And that's what I took it as. So, yeah, but how'd that feel? I mean, you, you, you'd sit there, but I asked as a writer, right? You sometimes you put your, you put your energy, you put your intention to a piece 
And then it's like, you, you know, that you're going to get some, some feedback on it, but how'd you feel when you, after you wrote a hundred pages? Um, like I agreed with her because <laughs> I think when I started writing it, I wanted to do it for more egocentric purposes. Like it was just to kind of feed my ego and slap author on my LinkedIn. Um, cause I just accomplished something that I had been working for, uh, towards for a really long time. And I was like, okay, now I want another accomplishment. What's next. And there was no, um, kind of intrinsic drive to accomplish it or any sort of motivation to actually help anyone with it. It was more so just like, this is what I want to do. And, um, I think it was just kind of shallow content and, um, it just kind of made me realize that I wasn't ready to write a book yet. Um, I knew I wanted to write one, but I think I needed to go back to the basics and kind of master writing and um, my voice and my style a little bit more before I attempted uh, it again. So four years later, after several blog posts and some deep dive fitness articles, um, I tried or I decided to circle back and um, try it again. Uh, this time I had different motivations. Um, the biggest thing for me, and I know everyone says this, but it's true, is uh, it was to help other people. Um, because when I first started my fitness journey uh, in university, I kind of gobbled up really random bad pieces of fitness information that was out there and um it caused me a lot of issues well let me um, let me cut in on that emily because yeah, yeah. part of the notes is I, was, is I was like kind of reading through reading through the book reading through find your stride and reading through your background you, you do mention that you started the, the journey in university and what was it i mean what was it that got you motivated to exercise because it's always interesting how different people and 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 look and I need to ask this question because as a guy, I have to acknowledge that you and I probably have different motivations to exercise, that we probably have a different, uh, we have different societal kind of constructs that kind of shape our motivation for why we might exercise. But what was it that caused you? I mean, what was it that made you decide to, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to start this whole exercise thing and give it a go? Yeah, it's interesting because I, I've always loved sports. Like I played team sports growing up, like ice hockey, and um, I actually played rugby as well. Um, cause I know you're a rugby player, Pete. um, but I was never really into like running or going to the gym or lifting weights. Um, I think for me, the catalyst behind actually, and what I call the inception of my fitness journey, when I was actually consistent with showing up to my workouts and eating consistently, um, like a specific plan that I can try for myself. Um, I think the biggest thing was just weight loss. Like it was purely aesthetics. Um, I was very self-conscious of my weight. Um, and yeah, as a cisgender woman, um, just growing up, I like, you just, it's societal expectations that you fit a specific mold. And I just, even though I never like looking back was like very like severely overweight, I just felt like really, really self-conscious of my own skin. Well, and okay, if you, if I can, if I can do this, Emily, sorry to cut in, but cause oh, I want no to stay there because no, because the reason why I think the reason why we're going to get to the reason why you wrote your book, but what mm -hmm. I want to delve into a little bit. And, and sometimes what I don't do a good job of, especially as a male podcast host is really acknowledging some of the pressures that women feel out there. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I see, I see, I see things on the back end of the industry about how men and women kind of are treated differently with by organizationally in, in, in the industry. But from your perspective as a young woman growing up, 
what are some of the messages? Let's let's I want to hear like kind of some of the messages that you experience about fitness, exercise, and how that relates to body image. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's more so just, you know, media at large, just seeing like people in film, um, like really fit bodies and just like really beautiful. And you just like assume they're naturally like gifted like that. And you're just like, why don't I look like this? And even just like other girls in my grade in high school, they would eat whatever they wanted and had like the best metabolisms. And, you know, I wrote in my book, like, I think I lost mine um, preteen. And I was like, it's a real bummer because I was re- really restrictive sometimes. And um, I still didn't like, I still couldn't lose the weight. Um, so I just felt a lot of pressure. And I had, you know, like guys in my grade say like comments or like, you know, family members like jokingly make comments, but those like really sat with me. Um, I think like everyone has like different experiences. This is mine, like as a cisgender white woman, um, living in Canada, but, um, yeah, that was kind of like the pressure that I felt personally that really impacted my body image. Um, and I'm just like, I was just really hard on myself too. That do you, do you think, but do you think that's because we see whether it's in movies when you have actresses that are really working hard to get in shape mm-hmm. and now with social media, with the advent of social media, does that mean that young women are really like comparing themselves to others as a, as a, as you grow up and develop, they're like, wow, I have to look like her. Or I have to look like her. Is that, is that one of those internal dialogues that, that happens? Yeah, Absolutely. I think social media has like perpetuated that, but then there's also like the body positivity movement that's going on, which is trying to like, you know, kind of negate that a bit, um, which is great. Uh, But yeah, I think it's, it's just kind of natural too to just compare ourselves to other people and um, not really look at the behind the scenes, anything. And that's a whole other thing is associating with like lean fit bodies with health because there's a lot of people in fitness and I'm sure you know this too, that are not healthy (laughs) at all. Myself included when I had achieved a very lean body, I was very not healthy myself (laughs) mentally or physically. (laughs) But, but no, you're hitting on something right on the head, Emily, because you're absolutely right. We put up these paradigms of health. And and I talk about this with friends, A, a friend of mine just trained for a master. She's like 54 or 55 and she trained for a bikini competition and now we were at the show, I think it was what, September maybe, and we we're having dinner afterwards. And we're talking about like what she had to go through that final 72 hour of contest prep. It's not healthy and not sustainable, right? Mm-hmm. In order, I mean, you're dro- trying to drop the final maybe one, one and a half kilos before you walk on stage. And so it really is when you look at that, that's not long term healthy and sustainable. So mm-hmm. and when you wrote, when you wrote Find Your Stride, was one of the intentions behind the book, how did you try to shift that narrative? Was that an intention behind the book that you wanted to shift that narrative? And how did you try to do that? Yeah, no, I did for sure. Um, I think there's a few parts to that um, because I think one, no one's going to just stop wanting to set weight loss goals or fitness goals, like aesthetics, like we're human. We have like that vain instinct. I think um, if you do want to like lose fat or build muscle, there's like a sustainable, correct way to do it versus um, any sort of like those fat diets. So I tried to present the information um, in a way that made it sustainable. So, um, you know, for like cutting or losing fat, it's 
not it's really figuring out like your maintenance calories and then taking like a conservative percent off of that versus like anything extreme so I'm like always conflicted because I think aesthetics are (laughs) and I'm going on a bit of a tangent here um I don't think they're like the most sustainable way to uphold any sort of fitness regimen over the long term like it can help us (laughs) get started and last for a certain amount of time but what my book really tries to do or the main message is to really find the intrinsic motivation. Um, and just, you know, everyone has a different idea of movement. Some people like going to the gym and working out and some don't, some just like gardening or going for walks. Like it, it's really like, however you want to, you know, <laughs> incorporate fitness. Um, and yeah, sorry, just to go back to, your question, which I know. Well, no, but, but I'm going to break in here in a second. If I'm breaking okay. here, if I can, what, what, what the yeah. listener can't see, what, what the listener can't see is I have this big grin on my face right now. Because if I may ask, if I may ask, how, how old yeah. are you? How old am I? Yeah, yeah. I'm 33. You're 33. But, yeah. but no, but, but the reason why I'm going with this, Emily, is when you're, when you're in your late teens and early 20s, what are the fitness messages that, that, are, most, that are most impressionable? Like yeah. if when you're in the late teens and early twenties, what do you pay attention to the most or what did you pay attention to the most in regards of like fitness marketing and fitness messaging? Yeah. It's literally just weight loss or like getting it's like weight loss and appearance, track. right? Now oh, that you're, nowadays. But no, but no, but now that, you've, <laughs> now, that you've, now that you've gone over the age of 30, but no, but now that you, but, but the reason why, but I point this out, mm-hmm. right? Because I turned 50 last year. And now I know, and I'm noticing different marketing messages. I'm noticing different messages that maybe if I had seen them three or four years ago would have gone over my head or I might not have resonated with me, right? That that now I am looking at different things and gosh, dang it, pickleball is looking like a freaking op. No, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> but I just mean, so yeah. as you, as you've been, but for somebody who's been active and, and I want to talk about your record here in a couple minutes. But for somebody who's been active, is as you've gone into and ventured into a new decade, how has that like kind of that maturation process? Process, and I'm not talking just about about um, emotionally, but also physically. How has that changed your perception of the messages that you receive regarding exercise and fitness? Yeah, I think um, I'm not sure if it's so much like the messages that I just received from at random. I think I like went and sought them out um to try to find more sustainable ways to maintain my own fitness because for me I hit a bit of a genetic ceiling where you know and and I always talk about this in two ways because I was very motivated extrinsically both from like a body composition standpoint and then also for like running performance so like getting like faster and faster times those are my like two big success metrics and then so when my (laughs) I hit my kind of genetic ceiling and I wasn't able to really like get that much more, um, I guess like more muscular or that I wanted to at least. Um, and then just losing fat, which I know for me, like it gets to a level where I just can't even like function. So (laughs) what's the point of that? Um, so I kind of just hit that. And then same with my running where I just kind of stopped getting faster and like improvements were so incremental. And then I would stall for months and, Um, I was just kind of like forced at that point to find other reasons to train and to keep myself motivated. Um, And I'd say I found um, 
the growth equation by Steve Magnus and Brad Stolberg are two of like my favorite on sustainable, not just sustainable fitness, but also just like sustainable success. And that's what really kind of introduced me to like the intrinsic side of things. Um, so I think part of my um, maturing um, was to kind of really look in, in, inside and, and find more sustainable and creative ways on how to, you know, enjoy movement, enjoy fitness, enjoy like my other endeavors as well, and keep me like showing up day after day without focusing on just like, you know, getting leaner, like building muscle or well, I'm gonna I go back. To I want to <laughs> come back to motivation in a second because I think yeah, you know, I picked up some some very important points on motivation from when doing a little bit of background for this. But first, what was the record that you set? I mean, what 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 was it that you did that really allowed you to set a record and kind of make a mark? Yeah, so um, the record was the most consecutive half marathon distances run by a, a by a cisgender woman. Um, so the Guinness World Record at the time was sixty one, and then I set a goal um, to run seventy, um, which I hit. But multiple people have beaten it since me <laughs> or maybe even before but that was the guinness world record um but official, so. how, how often did you run a half marathon i mean how often did you did you run that mm, i think i had written, run two in my life yeah before that but i had been running mm, for about nine years like pretty consistently before that so i had like a bit of a base i would say but, but how often did you have to run? How often did you have to run the half marathon? Was it every day, every week? Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, it was every day. Um, so consecutively. So yeah, every day for 70 days in a row. Okay, so you ran. So you went from having run two and, and be, being a runner for nine years. And where I'm going with this is you're looking at the physical stresses on the body, right? So number one, why pick 70 half marathons in, in, in a row? What, what was, to come back to, the, this is where the motivation question comes in. What was the motivation? I mean, why? You're not going to wake up one day and go, okay, let me see, uh, make coffee, check, take the dog out, check. Let me run my first of 70 half marathons. I mean, what was it that, you know, I mean, you don't go down the checklist of the day like that haphazardly. What was it that kind of said, hey, this is important to me and this is something I want to do? Yeah. Um, so it's a bit of like a long backstory, but I'll give you the Cole's notes or I should say Cliff's notes version. Um, <laughs> so... I had just like the year before I had just kind of leaped into self-employment and I was having a really hard year um, just with, we had a lot of excitement, a lot of press um, right away, but like revenue was like zilch. So I was having a really hard time um, just, you know, base meeting like basic financial <laughs> needs and um I was just kind of like feeling really lost too with all this extra time on my hands, which I wanted so bad. My life like literally felt like the wild west. It was just kind of nuts. And I had kind of gone through my first series of few panic attacks and like a full mental breakdown at the end of the year. And um, that January I'd set a goal to run 10 K per day in the month of January. I had listened to this book called the happiness of pursuit by Chris Gillibo and he talks about this idea of questing and setting these like big like long challenges that can bring more meaning and purpose in your life so I, I kind of created my own mini version so after the 10k per day challenge that was kind of the first stepping point and then I was out for another run and then I just randomly got an idea 
to kind of up the distance and um, see if there was like any sort of world record out there for how many consecutive days run. Originally, I was thinking maybe 10K for the most, um, the most 10Ks, but I kind of wanted something more challenging than that. And I don't know, like there was no like specific reason. It was just an idea. And then I found 61. And then instead of like setting 62, I just rounded it up to 70 and um, yeah, just went with it. <laughs> well, props on that. I mean, if you're going to run 62, you might as well run 70. I, I can kind of, yeah, exactly. <laughs> again, I can definitely respect that. Right. But when you come back yeah. to it, what was it? So going into, if you, if you had a little breakdown, what was it about yeah. doing the, and, and you'll, I'm going to try to ask this question. Hopefully I ask it in the right way. That initial January challenge, and I remember seeing that, that you you wanted to run 10, 10 kilometers a day for 31 days. What was it about creating that challenge for yourself that kind of helped change your mindset around what you had been going through and helped you pull out of it? Yeah, it was just like I just needed a challenge or something that um, like I wasn't that something else I could identify with because I had wrapped my identity fully into this business and it wasn't going well at all. So like I wasn't doing well at all. Um, so I needed something else um, to focus on and to bring me some sort of meaning in my day. Um, so that was kind of like the main reason. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it helps you get, so let me, I'm going to ask this question in a different way. So it helped you get outside yourself. Cause I think sometimes and I know what in my in my past when I've like had I've gone down the spiral right and I've gone down that I, I deal with depression and I, I talk about that on the podcast. Sometimes when I've gone down that spiral, it's because I'm focusing only on me and what's right in front of me. And mm-hmm. then when you give yourself a challenge, so if you give yourself a physical challenge, whether it's a, a 10k a day, whether it's a half marathon a day, or even if it's just walk around the block, what does that challenge? How does that challenge spark some motivation? What what about that challenge? creates motivation and what type of motivation does that create? Yeah, uh, it's a good question. Um, and it's a hard one to answer. Um, but what was the motivation? I mean, what motivated you to, to run a 10 K a day or what motivated you to run half marathon a day? I mean, cause I'm sure, especially days 30 something, 40 something, you're waking up going good grief. What the heck was I thinking? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. It was partially intrinsic. Like I'm very motivated by challenge personally, um, and achievement and accomplishment. That's like a big driver for me. Um, but it was also sharing it publicly and it was kind of, um, that helped me stay accountable and motivated as well. Um, I shared every single run every day on social media. I tried to make it like kind of like bigger than myself in the sense that, um, like I would share my journey with others and other people would, you know, do their own 10 K per day challenge. And it had that kind of like ripple effect, which gave me even more motivation. And then with the half marathon challenge, I also wanted to raise money for the Canadian cancer society. So that gave me more motivation and more purpose. Um, It's not just like a straight answer. There's so many aspects of it that I'm trying to like remember, but yeah, I'm not sure if that answers your no, question. No, but but no, the reason why no, the reason why I asked that, Katie, is because setting a goal like that, but 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 setting setting a stretch goal like that really can help cause that motivation. That, that motivation changes your mindset, and it all ties in, right? And and sometimes 
I think, especially if you've, if you've been in this mindset for the past few years, it's second nature to you. But think about to, back to when you're kind of having your breakdown. Do you think, you know, back then, would you have been able to hit that challenge, write a book? What was it about, about having these goals, about setting an audacious goal? I know Harvard has a big, hairy, audacious goal. But what was it about having this challenging goal that really allowed you to kind of like just to kind of get your stuff in order? Yeah, um, I don't know. It was a little bit ego driven at the beginning. Um, and yeah, it just gave me something to focus on and get out of my head. Like it really did, like getting outside, running every day. Um, I would also blog about the challenge. It gave me like structure, I think, which was what I needed because I had been working full time, um, like a nine to five and my day was very structured for me. And then when I was self-employed, I literally had nowhere to be and nothing to do. And I was like, oh, I'm going to work so hard, like nine to five in this business. I would like work like an hour and be like, okay, now what do I do? <laughs> you know what I mean? So then I would just ruminate and obsess and it wasn't doing well. And then I would be like this like cycle of self-deprecating thoughts. Like I'm a failure. I'm like not making my business successful. So by setting kind of an outward challenge, I was able to get out of like that negativity and be able to do something more positive. And then by sharing it with other people, I saw the positive effects of that. Um, so that just, it just basically gave me more meaning in my life, life, I guess. <laughs> well, no, but, but, but I'm going to ask this because this is important. And I think for the listener out there, I know sometimes it can be hard to take that first step, right? You think I need to achieve this goal or there's something I want to work on. But as you're doing that and you're working towards your goal and you're sharing about it and blogging about it, were you receiving positive feedback from followers and from friends on social media? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was. And then how did you, how did that positive, how did that positive reinforcement cycle build? Where I'm going with that is like, once you start hitting one or two small goals, does that, does that create positive momentum and how does that help you kind of maintain or help you build the energy to work, keep working towards the big goal? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a lot of things. Like it was, um, it was definitely the feedback that I received from other people, but I was also able to kind of get in touch with my curiosity and be able to experiment with different recovery techniques or nutrition strategies. So it like kept things interesting. Um, and yeah, it, it wasn't just like a linear progression. There were so many variables and I had been pretty consistent before then. So it's not like I just had set this goal and just, you know, ran with it, like out of nowhere, it was like a buildup, I would say. Um, but it just like one thing kind of just led to the other. Um, and then while I haven't like set any big, big challenges in terms of like half marathon challenges since then, I still like realize that with like myself, I need like big challenges, which is why I do like endurance events, um, different terrain, different distances, because challenging myself really and like working towards something in the training aspect of it um that just provides me a lot of motivation and meaning um, and is that has that changed your motivation from like aesthetic and weight loss and, and how so i yeah. mean how, how how has that shifted yeah for sure because um yeah i'm well i still like sometimes yeah i'm motivated by like you know, being able to like lift more, run faster. Um, and yeah, like aesthetically too, like I like to sometimes like 
do like, like a little mini cut or something um, to feel better. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I don't do it all that often, but I, I still do it. Um, I think like my extrinsic motivation is still there, but it's minimized a lot. And now it's more intrinsic, like challenge and competency and getting better and being able to like tackle things that really scare me. That's really like more predominant um, in terms of my motivation now. And, and so with people that people that read run your, uh, I'm bad, I had it right in front of me. When people refine your stride, I was about to say run your stride and run your stride. I was like, I was saying that I was like, wait a minute, run your stride doesn't really make much sense. I mean, you can run your stride too. <laughs> but that's what I mean. I mean, run your stride is technically what you're doing. Your right foot, left foot. I mean, that is your stride that you're applying yeah. that. Um, but as people refine your stride, how, how can that help people kind of shape their motivation? I mean, what could a reader, if a reader's picks, picks up, find your stride, What's a little tidbit for kind of establishing if I just need that little push to kind of really hit that motivation for 2023, what what could somebody find in there that would kind of help them find to set that or create that intrinsic motivation they might need? Yeah, I think there's like a few components. Um, the biggest thing is um, like, I guess the main thesis of Find Your Stride is to adopt more of a self-experimentation mindset when it comes to um approaching fitness information and using fitness information as a guide not a gospel I think a lot of people get on some sort of like fad diet or like some sort of like rigid plan at the beginning of the year and then they fall off and then they start chastising themselves um but kind of find your strike presents a a different approach where um it presents information and then gives you kind of tools to experiment for yourself to see if it's a fit because even if the science oh sorry go ahead no, I was going to cut in there real quick. I mean, have you been have you been very rigid? I think I read this. I think this is part of was in the book. I mean, in your background as an athlete, were you very rigid? And how did that shape your approach and your mindset towards exercise? Yeah, like I definitely was very rigid and I still am to a degree because um, I have a run streak. So there's some rigidity in my life. Um, but I just remember having that rigid mindset when I was back in university and I was so restrictive and I literally just took a bunch of fitness information and made my own like rigid dogmatic plan. And it worked for me. Like I got lean, I got like more fit. Um, but I was also like turning orange because of how many carrots I was eating. Like, <laughs> And I was, I had like very like low energy. I was eating so much processed crap and um, I wouldn't allow myself to just enjoy basic life experiences because of this rigid plan. So while it worked from an aesthetic perspective, it like left me like empty inside and it was really hard to break out of that. Um, so, uh, and, but, but, then, but I said, you say rigidity and then experimentation. I mean, how do you now, I mean, how do you now approach that? Cause I think it, the reason why I asked that, and I think a lot of us have that fitness is easy to do. And the one, one mistake I think a lot of people make in fitness Emily is I read this, this said, ABC. Therefore, mm -hmm. I need to do A, B, C every day. But mm -hmm. the human body is innately variable. The human body is not designed to perform or, or be able to be capable of only doing A, B, C every day. It's capable of doing so much more. So do you think mm -hmm. that partly in your experience, I guess for your experience, the only way you can really speak to, but in your experience, does having that rigidity make exercise less enjoyable? Does that make something that's like that – Rather than looking to exercise something, hey, this is fun. I enjoy it. It's like, oh, crap, I got to do this because it says I'm supposed to do this today. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. And that's one of the, like, there's a lot of components in it. Um, but yeah, that's like one part where I talk about, um, Michelle Cigar's book, um, No Sweat, where she basically talks about how, um, if you position exercises as should, then you're going to hate it. Like if you hear from a doctor, you, you should lose weight or like someone's telling you, you should do this, then you're going to be like, Oh, okay. And yeah, I have to, it's going to be a chore. Um, but if you kind of position exercise and fitness and movement as a gift, you're going to enjoy it a lot more and be more grateful for it and look forward to it. Not to say you're going to like love working out every day. Like I don't spring out of bed and I'm like, I got to work out today. Like it's more like, okay, let's just get this going. And I know I'll always feel better after, but, um, I do really like find other ways. And that's another thing too. I talk about in the book is just creative ways that you can enjoy your fitness, um, more intrinsic frames. Like for me, um, and I don't like to say running is a form of therapy per se, but it is a form of like, it is very cathartic for me to run. It's very stress relieving, um, if I'm dealing with like a lot of anxiety, which I do deal with, I go for a run, I feel a lot better. Um, I'm more creative um, during my runs, something I talk about called like productive um, training, because a lot of people feel guilty taking that time for themselves in the day um, to work out, but it's proven that it can help you learn faster, get more productive, like there's a lot of other benefits um, to exercise. So it's just compiling as many different reasons um to exercise that can you know give you that positive motivation to keep going aside from just fat loss or building muscle or aesthetics one of the things that you hit the you hit the nail right on the head there right and i think this is i honestly think we're in new territory and thankfully we're in new territory finally mm-hmm. after the last few years and that's mm-hmm. recognizing the fact the role that exercise plays in mental health because mm-hmm. you talk about i mean when you go for a run when you go for a run, Emily, that's basically you're taking an antidepressant. I mean, you dopamine, serotonin, adenine, you get a whole cocktail of neurotransmitters that reshapes how your brain functions. And that's another thing that, you know, I'm not, I am not a mental health professional, nor is this a mental health podcast. I'm going to state that unequivocally for the record. This is not a mental health podcast, but I do think that one of the key one of the key intrinsic drivers for why people who exercise continue to exercise is that it helps just maintain balance in in our mental health. Is that something, have you ever noticed that where for whatever reason that if you can't exercise for a few days in a row, whether it's a travel schedule, you get bogged down with a meeting at work, you get sick. How does that affect your overall mental health and your overall mindset? It's really hard to say because I've been, I have a bit of a streak going. So are you are you trying to do a new record? I mean, now because now all of a sudden I feel like I may have jinxed you, right? You know, because yeah. when when a pitcher, when an American baseball pitcher is working on a no hitter, you don't talk about the no no. You, you don't talk. <laughs> so if you got a streak going, I'm not going to ask you about intrinsic motivation because I don't want to step on the street. Oh no no, it's okay. Um, I'm just I, I don't think I can really relate to that to an extent because I'm on like almost a six year run streak where I've run every single day for that long. So. I and not to say it's a smart thing to do at all. And this is like what I had mentioned before about like the rigidity that's still in my life because I do have this like run streak that I've been maintaining forever. Um, but I know that I'm like not like an like normal <laughs> in that regard. Um, and that like everyone is going to fall off at some point, myself included. Um, eventually I'm going to like not be able to run or there's gonna be something um where I have to end my streak eventually. Um, but 
yeah, I think um, the majority of people are going to have to take, like, they're going to fall off at some point. And then it's, I think one of the key components of just is, is practicing self-compassion and just being okay with it and just allowing yourself that like rest day and just realizing you're human that everyone needs that time um, or has things that come up. Um, <laughs> again, well, like I, I, can't I, I just, just, just for the, for the listener here, for the listener here, Emily, when, when I mentioned that and brought that up, your, your face changed and you could, you visibly became a little uncomfortable thinking about that. I mean, did you feel, I mean, did you feel a little uncomfortable? Like, wait a minute, I got to check it, take a rest. I mean, you're on this streak. I mean, did you feel that? Yeah, it's, um, it's hard because I, and I've had to think about this a lot because yeah, I, I get like really bad anxiety thinking about ending this streak and I've had to deal with that. Like it's, um, like, it's no, I could, I could tell on your face now. Yeah. Know, how, so how do you, how do you build in recovery? I mean, in order to maintain that, obviously you don't go out and do like 10, 20 K a day. And there might be some days you only do half to maybe a one K I hope. Please sure. tell me For that sure. make me feel, make, make, yeah. I, I just wrote a book on the, on the science of recovery. So that's why one of the reasons why I'm asking plug. plug. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but <laughs> no, in all, in all seriousness, as you look at this and what you've learned, how do you structure and how do you periodize it? So you, while you're putting stress on your body every day, you try to minimize, you, you try to structure it. So you do have active recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I do bring down the mileage or the pace or I'll run, um, like on the treadmill. I oh, yeah. I think like we're all very up the train and I'll do some like trail runs. I'm, I think I'm pretty in tune with listening to my body now, but that being said, like, I, I'm going to say like full out, like I've been, I'm like kind of stupid too. <laughs> Like, I'm not, like, the best example to follow because I've been injured and I could have, you know, expedited the recovery if I took the real rest days. Um, but that was, like, that's my own sacrifice that I – and I know the real risks. And I've run with pneumonia, which is just – it's just not smart. <laughs> but um, for me, I I told myself that, like, I get so much out of my daily runs. It's just part of my day. And if I wake up one day and I just, like – if I'm not, if I'm, or just, you know, consecutively, I'm just not really like enjoying my running anymore, then I'll end it because I don't know. I just include it in my day because I just, it's just part of my routine. It grounds me. It, um, it's like an integral part of my mental health. So yeah, that's kind of what I do. And then if I'm injured, which I am now, I'm just on the, <laughs> finally recovering, I'll, you know, actually stretch, I'll go to physio, um, I'll do the things that I need to do while also well, what was, real quick. What was the injury and how long have you been, been treating it? As, as um, well? It's a quad strain okay. and I've been treating it for about two months now. And it was literally from doing just like a leg extension machine, like to an extra set. Uh, that exercise <laughs> stuff, Emily, that, that'll hurt you, man. That's no good for you. I, I wouldn't recommend that at, at all. I mean, well, no, no, What's that? No, I, I'm, I'm kidding. You're just like, just, I said exercise in general. Now, yeah. looking look to wrap this up. I mean, one of the things that, that really stood, you know, you, you looked at a lot of stuff, you did a lot of your own research. And I think a lot of, a lot of listeners out there do that, right? A lot of people say, I want to get into exercise. I'm going to start researching things. I'm going to start compiling things. As you're putting this stuff together, as you're kind of going through this journey, what was one of the most extreme things that you read or that you tried that looking back on it, you go, oh, like when you when you said that thing about eating carrots, eating enough carrots, you almost turned orange. That's what I'm like, okay, I need to ask this question. But what was one of the most extreme things that that you did or that you tried or read 
that now you look back on it and go, what the, what the F was I thinking? What was I, why, why did I do that? Uh, yeah, I think for me, it was like, it was my first plan that was just so crazy. It was like no sugar, no fat, no salt. I don't know why I chose that, but it was like, that's what I chose. And I was like, okay, I can only have one serving of like grains a day. And I think I like read, I don't know if you've read fit for life. (laughs) that book from the 80s i was gonna ask that's the next question that's where i was going with that question i'm building up to yeah. know where I'm going with. <laughs> but basically and if my memory serves correctly there's like live foods or where you can eat like as many vegetables and fruits as you want and then the dead foods are like meat and starches and you can have one dead food i think in like for lunch and dinner, but you can't have them together. Like you can't have a complex carb and a protein together. You have to have them separately because it will like sap your energy. <laughs> it's just like, so this, I was, like this was, this is it from the book fit for life. I mean, yeah. from yeah. the 80s. I mean, what was it? I mean, what was it about these books? I mean, cause honestly, one of the things that I do, I, I love, I, I've gotten into the habit of going vintage. Uh, I, go, I love going like vintage clothes shopping and I love going to like old, um, old vintage bookstores, old used bookstores. Cause I love looking for old used, like good fitness books, like good cheesy. Like I have Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> yeah. I, have, I have an Arnold Schwarzenegger weightlifting for women from like 1979 that, that I swear to God, every, every woman, every, every modern woman would burn if they saw some misogyny in this book. But, you know, I mean, with that, what was it? I mean, what was it about fit for life? that you really adhere to because, because look, I mean, somebody takes the time to write a book, they put their energy into it and they have a, have a message and and not all the messages are are bad or wrong. What was it that you learned from that book that you're able to apply, apply successfully? Um, apply successfully. (laughs) I like that reaction. You're like, but what was it about that? I mean, cause that book obviously did help you on the journey. Um, yeah, I guess it was like, a component and um I think it just like made me realize like years later how bad it is to just read fitness information by like supposed experts and believe them as truth and there was another one too I think this was a little bit further back but it was like the first book in the like the carbs make you fat camp um I'm trying to remember his name but it was called the drinking man's diet <laughs> and basically it was like <laughs> you can no carbs you can eat like protein fat and like as much as you want to drink like any yeah alcohol and it was like and it literally sold like over two million copies like it was a super popular book but it was just yeah it was hard like it was just like all pseudoscience. It was criticized so harshly in time. And well, let me yeah. see. It's always written a couple books. Let me see. But I'd rather write a book that sells or I'd rather write a book that's accurate. I don't, I don't, that's, well, that's I don't the know. issue too with, you know, a lot of fitness information. It's like the motives and the intentions behind them. And some studies like sponsored by supplement companies or even just some authors I've read have their own supplement companies that they're pushing in books. And, and you know, it just, that's the big thing that I want to, I wanted to push and find your stride is just because of my own issues with this and um, just other people too, like just being able to be more critical with fitness information. And um, sure, if you read something fine, but like, don't think of it as just like dogmatic truth or universal truth, which is even worse, but as rather as just like information, if you want to like test it out for yourself, fine. And like the form of self experimentation, but yeah, it just can get a lot of people into trouble or they'll like test out a new 
nutrition plan, it doesn't work for them. And then they'll turn it in on themselves. Like, Oh, I'm not self-disciplined enough or I'm not like motivated enough. Like I'm just not going to like fitness isn't for me. Um, well, real quick on nutrition. I read something not long ago, Emily, that, that really blew me away. You and I share about 99% of the same DNA, right? There's only like maybe a 1% variance in our DNA and our genetic structure. Yet our gut biome, we only share about maybe 10 to 15% of our gut biome, meaning that the, ba- the, the bacteria and the microbiome in the gut um, that really digests the food that we eat is about 80 to 90% different, 85 to 95% different. So therefore, it's really changed, changed my thought towards nutrition because no matter what, you and I could follow the exact same meal plan, but your gut biome is going to have a completely different response than my gut biome. So I think I think as we learn more about like that level of, of depth of the body, it really hopefully hopefully fingers crossed will help help us to like look at look at everything a little bit differently. I mean, isn't it amazing like how little discoveries like that can completely change how we how we like really consider the you know, the this approach that we do right now? For sure, very paradigm shifting. That's super interesting. I mean, yeah, that, I, I mean, that, but that blew me away because it's like, and also too, I mean, with I'm a huge fan of supplements, but I'm never going to sell them because I'm mm-hmm. I don't know what might work for you, might not work for somebody else. And I try the only thing I try to sell on my podcast are my own books, and and there there there's a little bit of research that goes into them. I don't just put stuff out. I say a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit of research on that. Say. Now I want to I want to wrap this up because you did something that I think got a lot of response through your social media and your blog posts, and that was you 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 famously stepped away from drinking for a while. What mm-hmm. why did you stop drinking, and, and what what was kind of the driver for that, and and how what was the response? Yeah, so I had drank a lot in my 20s. Um, I was living in Toronto and it was kind of just part of the culture going out and drinking like during the week and um, on weekends. Like, I mean, some people stayed away, but I was like fully embedded. My friends all did it. So um, yeah, I just, you know, drank a lot when I was in my 20s. And um, towards my 30s, I started feeling like progressively worse and it started like really negatively impacting my life in a bunch of different ways. So um yeah when I turned 30 I started taking more prolonged breaks off drinking um before that I was taking like a dry January month um but I would take two three months off at a time and I just like started feeling amazing um I read this book called uh This Naked Mind by Annie Grace um which I recommend to anyone <laughs> um but wait that was the snake the snake in mind or the naked mind <laughs> this naked mind sorry it's naked mind okay this naked mind yeah um and it really helped expose the truth behind alcohol and help reprogram my kind of subconscious mind and believing that I didn't really need alcohol to have a good time or to like enjoy my life which um, society really pushes, <laughs> um, at least here in the West. Um, so that really like helped me take longer breaks and then I drank here and there. Um, but I think the biggest reason why I decided to quit for good, um, I was living in Calgary for a few months. I was dating someone there, did not work out, moved back home with my parents at 32. And I was like, it was a little bit of a traumatic move. Um, so I decided that time that I wanted to do like a six month alcohol free experiment. I wanted to just, you know, get over the breakup and have a clear mind deciding like what I wanted to do next. Um, cause I did not want to be at my parents for very long. 
And um, yeah, so I, I hit the six month mark and then I, I felt really good and decided to extend it for a year. I had moved to Vancouver at this point. So I had met an entirely new group of friends. Um, so they kind of knew me as sober. Um, they didn't know like the past me because that was like a, that was a different story. Um, I had lost like a few friends when I stopped drinking or I was not invited out to some things like concerts and stuff because, um, yeah, I was, it was assumed that I wouldn't have a good time. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I moved to Vancouver and then I extended the challenge to a year. And then after a year, it really just like became my new normal. Um, I actually wrote the first draft of the manuscript of find your stride, um, within the first few months of moving back home when I was sober and I've like never been more creative or productive, uh, in my life. So, um, and I didn't want to taint that with alcohol because even, you know, I don't know about, about you, but as I get older, like just even like a few drinks really negatively affect, affected me the next day. And I get really bad anxiety. I wouldn't be able to concentrate as well. Um, and I just didn't want to like sacrifice that productive time. I really wanted to write a book this last year. So yeah. Um, and then after a year, like I said, it just kind of became my normal and I've been able to experience life without it. And I enjoy kind of the stability in my energy. Um, and yeah, it's, I tell everyone it was like the best choice. I've ever so, for myself. <laughs> well, it, it, I want to because I want to make clear. I mean, we we talked about this a little bit before we hit record. And for the listener, you're talking about just you decided to stop drinking. Obviously, whether or not you had a drinking problem before before you decided to stop, only you, in my opinion, only you can make that judgment. You're the only one that could say determine whether or not you were drinking excessively. Right. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to. You know, that's not not for me to decide. But I always think there's such a stigma when people stop drinking. It's so it's so interesting. And like for me, I kind of on the advice of legal counsel is probably a good idea. I'd gotten arrested for I'd gotten arrested for a bar fight and I really didn't want to. You know, I figured good. Yeah. Getting drunk again might might increase the 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 odds of getting arrested. So uh, it wasn't something I wanted to do. Um, but it's funny because I remember being in my in my mid to late 20s and not drinking. And I was in D.C. and I stopped. I was playing rugby at the time and. A little bit, of, a little bit of drinking goes on in the rugby community. I think you're aware of that. Heard. It's you've heard. Yeah, there might be a little something about that. Um, but I, but I stopped, and it was, it was very tough to kind of create your own social identity with that. So much so that that when I moved from DC to Boston a few years later, I actually started drinking again. I started playing rugby again and started drinking. And then when I moved to San Diego back in 2008 and took the job with the American Council on Exercise, when I'd be going out and doing a lot of public speaking and being at different events, I'm like. I can't risk this job. I don't want to risk being that guy that gets hammered and does whatever, you know, and I know what I do when I'm hammered. So um decided not to drink anymore. That's when I stopped drinking and I haven't, you know, and it's funny because I look at it now and after so many years of not drinking, I couldn't imagine having a drink. I really couldn't. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's one of those things for me personally, I, I started going to meetings and start going using a, a program of AA and I know other people have, haven't, have not done that. But it's funny just because you do find – you mentioned being a team sport person, and I talk about this. And for the listener, th- this has been my experience. Everybody has their own experience. My experience, I look at A as kind of like a team. It's kind of like we're all there kind of supporting each other and, and helping each other. 
right? And that's how I've learned to do that. And I've learned how to create a social network out of it. And so it's one of those things of like, really, I could imagine, I, I forget the social societal pressure. I forget being 20 something, early 30 something, when you do have a lot of people in your peer group drinking. I mean, I, when you get the good, the good news is, Emily, when you get a little bit older, when you get a couple more you know, years under your belt, your friends don't give a shit anymore. Part of my French, but your friends don't really give a shit anymore whether you drink or don't drink. They really, when you get to a certain point, it just becomes unimportant. If you have a drink, great. If you don't have a drink, great. Nobody, nobody cares. You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially being in fitness. I mean, that's the other thing about working in fitness. Working in fitness, it's kind of like not, I mean, and we both know people in fitness, people drink quite a bit. If you if you want to see people booze, you can hang out with rugby players or hang out with like uh, fitness equipment salespeople. Because fitness equipment, <laughs> fitness equipment salespeople, I mean, I'm yeah. serious. Fitness equipment salespeople haven't traveled with some of them. They can hold their own with some of my rugby mates. But um, but it does become, I mean, once you become a personal trainer and once you become a fitness instructor, people not. So just for the average listener out there, if you really, if you decide to not drink and you want people to leave you alone about not drinking, become a personal trainer. Then people leave you alone about not drinking because <laughs> because, because part of it. But do you think, and I know this has been a big shift, but do you think societal, Emily, do you think there is becoming more, as we adopt more marijuana, as THC becomes more mainstream, do you think people are moving away from booze? Or do you think people are moving away from booze, not only just for marijuana, but just because, hey, I'm kind of tired of this stuff? Um, yeah, I think. I think escapism is always going to be there in whatever form that takes, um, whether it be weed or other forms. Um, it's always going to be there. <laughs> um, but I'm I'm not really sure how many, I know there's like a big sober movement um, and messages that, you know, are really becoming more pervasive in a good way um, that we don't need alcohol and kind of exposing the real truths. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard to say exactly. I don't know. I'm not an expert on that, so I no, can't but, really comment. But, no, but because <laughs> because you famously have been public about your your journey, your experience, I didn't know if it's yeah. something you noticed within your peer group or within kind of like because you're probably going to notice different messaging and different um, marketing info than I will. I mean, I'm, I'm as, as, as a 50 year old dude with two kids in school, you know, I noticed different messaging than probably a young 30 something year old woman would in terms of uh, different social in terms of different media trends. But I didn't know if that was a trend that you're noticing is more people in their 30s kind of like, why are we drinking so much? Why why are we really yeah. building our lives around this? I am actually noticing that for sure. And even like in Vancouver, there's um, there's like Sober Girls Guide. It's like this big community um, of like women um, specifically that and it's like a support network um, to kind of stay away from booze. Um, they just opened a sober, uh, it's called Sober Babes. So they're holding like, sober events um traditionally like with alcohol like going to say like a bar with like a drag performance where it's like alcohol infused like they're having super sober events there so there's a lot more popping up now um and yeah most of my friend groups like a lot of them drink still but it's just like minimal it's not like this like excessive partying and I'm finding that's just like as I'm getting older um as well like and just like my my friend group um it was in a totally different place. In my well, it does. It, it becomes it becomes <laughs> such a wait. I think I we, we you stepped on something there. Wait, they're doing sober drag nights. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, come on. Really good. Come on. You need a little bit of, I mean, you can't do it. I mean, I, I guess you could, but drag, I mean, drag is all about having fun. It's about camp. Yeah. It's about, you know, come on. No, I mean, that must be kind of fun. I mean, drag shows are always a good time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You can ha- go and have fun and see like the Queens, which are always like a great time <laughs> without alcohol. Hey, um, the Queen, no, I mean, when yeah. I lived in DC, uh, the DC before the week before, um, the week before Halloween, they have the drag show, they have the drag races. And it's literally is all the queens. There's like a block right down the main the main street where all the where all the gay bars are in Dupont Circle, and literally all the, all the drag queens just go sprinting at a million miles an hour. And uh, you know, as a as a as a heteronormative guy, it's a very confusing evening for a few hours when you're walking around and you're seeing <laughs> you're seeing all the drag drag queens dressed up. Like, wait, what? Um, but it, it's always fun. I mean, it's always it's yeah. a fun community. It's a fun fun to be a part of. Now, to finish this up, where obviously um, obviously uh, your book can be available everywhere. Where can people where can people find find your stride? And how can people find out more information about what you're doing in the messaging that you're putting out? Yeah. Um, so like you said, my book is available online and um, anywhere books are sold. It's print on demand or you can order it from your um, local independent. Um, they can order it through Ingram. Um, you can connect with me on Instagram. My handle is at Emily Rudo. Um, and then my personal website, www.emilyrudo.com is where, um, you know, I share a lot of like my free content, blog posts and whatnot. Um, and you can also find more information about my book on there as well. Well, real quick, your, your go do blog. I mean, what do you, what do you write about on, on go do? I mean, what's, what's the point of that blog? Oh, everything. So I started very, um, just writing about running and then fitness, but now I write about sobriety, a little philosophy, a little psychology, whatever I really feel like. <laughs> um, yeah. All right, cool. Writing, reading, um, just trying to think. <laughs> Well, no, Emily, Emily Rudo, author of Find Your Stride and the, the Go Do blog. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. And for people out there, I mean, look, motivation comes in many forms. And uh, honestly, Emily, running a half marathon a day I, might not motivate me, but I know I, I do have, but I do have other motivation. Any final thoughts on motivation on what, like, imparting it, it to how somebody could tap into their own intrinsic motivation? Yeah, I think, um, I think it's, it, having kind of a sense of malleability and how you approach your motivation um, and that it like can change and you can find motivation in so many different ways. Um, As I had mentioned before, like I have originally just used running for, you know, calories in versus calories out, but now I use it to kind of be creative and problem solve and for mental health issues and I find as I get older too, um, I just find new ways to fall in love with running. Um, and something I talk about in the book as well, which I won't get into detail, but um, I, I use uh, this idea called ment- a mental tool- toolbox where you kind of collect um, different anecdotes or quotes or things you find inspiring and you gather these. So if you're really lacking motivation, you can, you know, just pull your, pull a tool from your mental toolbox and use that. Um but yeah, <laughs> cool. All right. I, have to say. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. Now I assume you said you've run every day for more than six years. Is there a book mm-hmm. in the works there? Is there, is there a part two, find your stride part two, uh, somewhere in the works or you're going to keep um, moving about that for the time being. <laughs> I'm not working running or sorry. I'm not writing about my run streak, but I am working on my second book. Um, right now it's, it actually doesn't really have anything to do with fitness. It's a little bit 
of a different genre. Can't say too much yet, but um, it is in the works. <laughs> All right, well, we'll keep an eye out for that. So, Emily, thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Pete. Whew. I don't know about you, but I'm tired just uh, just listening to that. I mean, that that's a lot. Um, yeah, that's that's a lot there to do that much work. And what's funny is, yeah, it does take a lot of exercise. It does take a lot of motivation. But sometimes, the, the and I don't know if this is my age or the exercise scientist in me, but sometimes I kind of ask why. And I, and I guess because we can, right? I mean, that is part of what we like to do with exercise. Why do we exercise? Well, because we can. We want to see what we're capable of. We could... We, Running might not be my thing, but I can certainly appreciate the fact that somebody would want to try to see how many how many half marathons they can run before they finally tap out. And good on her for for having the strength to do that. And hey, look, if you want to learn how to to accomplish your own goals, if you want to know how to train a specific way, pick up a copy of Smarter Workouts: The Science of Exercise Made Simple. I've been educating personal trainers for more than twenty years, and in Smarter Workouts, I teach you what you need to know to be able to design your own workout program. You can listen to other episodes of All About Fitness where I'm reading smarter workouts to you, and you can pick up a copy of the book to find out how to design exercise programs to enhance your quality of life. And on that note, Ageless Intensity is my book, which will teach you how to enhance your life and how to extend your lifespan. Both those can be down down below in the show notes. Fabulous uh, interview today, fascinating young woman. Uh, Certainly is going (laughs) to... I mean, honestly, I'm not a runner anymore. My, my arthritis in my knee takes care of that, but I did go out for a very long hike after I recorded that interview. It kind of motivated me to go hike up the hill uh, right behind my house here. So, hey, as always, you can reach out to me, Pete, at PeteMcCallFitness.com. Thanks for stopping by, and I do look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness.